0: the Lord praise this morning. He's worthy.
1: continue with praise and worship you know the next song is called more than enough and thank you that God is more than enough for us right he is our hope and he is there no matter what
0: Morning. You may be seated. Hi, buddy. It's my little one. He likes to, yeah, he likes to be with daddy. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Man. He's a daddy's boy. He's a little spoiled and I make no apologies. People say, is he your first? And nope, he's the last. <laughs> hey, thank you for um, choosing to be here this morning. For those of you who are uh, online with us, whether uh, by Facebook or YouTube, thank you so much for choosing to be a part of this service and be a part of uh, our worship today. And we hope that you are blessed, um, because we know that the Spirit of the Lord can go from this place all around the world. Amen? Amen. So this morning, uh, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Hebrews, and I'm going to talk to you on uh, a topic of defeating the drift. And so uh, there were some um, outlines handed out, and there will be some things you can fill in as as we go along. So, um, getting started just kind of put us in a, in, a, in a place so that we're all kind of together. Uh, there is an app called Drift. It's a psychogeographic phone app. It encourages people to get lost in familiar spaces. Think about that. Get lost in familiar spaces. My office sometimes gets such a mess, I think I could get lost in there. Uh, this phone app essentially functions as a scavenger hunt. And uh, it provides a list of tasks for its users to uh, complete. And now I'm not uh, endorsing this app. I don't personally use it. So uh, I forget what it was Meredith said, hashtag not endorsed. Is that where? Very good. Um, But this app is specifically designed to prompt people just to get out and explore. And according to their web page, check this out. This will be on the screen. According to their web page, quote, there's no wrong way to go. Each clue is meant to be broadly interpreted, and naturally people will translate what they see in different ways. Okay, let that sink in for a second. There's no wrong way to go. Every clue can be interpreted in each individual's way because it's seen in different ways. Now, this concept may be really great for a fun Saturday morning but it's a terrible way to live your life in view of eternity. Amen? So what I want us to do is look at Hebrews, and you've got your passage open there. It'll also be on the screen. And there's one sentence out of Hebrews chapter 2 that we are going to look at. The writer of Hebrews says this, For this reason, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it, so that we do not get lost in familiar places. How about that? So let's look at that again. For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away from it. So we're going to hone in and unpack this one sentence this morning. A definition of to drift is to move along a line of least resistance, to continue to go the easy route, to just Go with the flow and move that way. So, as we begin to look at this uh, one sentence in Hebrews, it's very important that we understand that the writer is saying that we have to do something now so that some, something good now, so that something bad doesn't happen. So, it's kind of preventative maintenance for the church. All right? And he's talking to believers. So, let's unpack this, and um, by way of putting us in context, let me just tell you, this is one of uh, five admonitions that we find in the book of Hebrews. And yes, if this was a series, this would be part one in, in a five-part series. And I want you to understand that, that the chapters and the verses that we're looking at really focus in on the supremacy of God's Word. How many of you think the Bible is important? Okay, most of us. Very good. Um, so... When we look at this idea, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, wanted you and wanted me to understand the supremacy of the Word of God. So he starts with this idea of drifting, and it 's on your screen, and you can fill those in. It begins with a drifting from the Word of God. This is just simple neglect. Uh, most of the time, uh, we don 't even set out to intentionally do it. It just kind of happens. But when there 's a far enough drift from the Word of God, you 'll find yourself doubting the Word of God. We begin to become hard of heart. Then there is a dullness that sets in. It just isn't meaningful. We become sluggish. And then we have that, So at this point, we've drifted so far that we've created our own new set of rules and ideas, and we begin to despise the word. And that is we willfully turn from it, and then it ends up in us defying the word of God and us refusing to hear. Dr. Warren Weersby says this, and let me quote him. Quote, if we do not listen to God's word and really hear it, we start to drift. And the neglect always leads to drifting in things material, physical, and spiritual as well. As we drift from the word of God, we doubt the word of God because faith comes by hearing the word of God according to Romans 10. We get hard hearts, and this leads to to just being lackadaisical and spiritually sluggish, which produces dullness. We become dull of hearing. Lazy listeners, which turns around that we willfully disobey God. And as we go and continue in that, we become and develop a defiant attitude, and we almost get to the point that we dare God to do anything about it. Now, we might say, well, that would never happen in the church, right? That could never happen to Christian people. Well, let's unpack this and see what the scripture has to say. So, the first three words of this sentence is for this reason can you say that with me for this reason now when you see that the writer is is he's predicating what he's about to say on something he's already said so in chapter one of hebrews and we don't have time to go through all of that today but he has just made his case for the superiority of christ in the work of salvation right if we're going to be saved and we're going to follow christ christ is the superior one who works all of this out So he is basing this this admonition and basing this encouragement that he is giving us on chapter 1, that the supremacy of Christ is in existence, and so he's assuming, and I am assuming today, that we all are there on that same page, that we believe that there is, that Christ is supreme and superior when it comes to the work of salvation. And you say, well, what does that mean? Well, that means there is no other way to be saved except through Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He claimed to be the door, the only door to eternal salvation, right? So we start at that point. And so that's where we're starting. That's where I'm starting today. And then he has his second phrase. Here's his second phrase. Because of what I've just said, it's important that we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. We must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Now, he wanted these believers that he's talking to, he wanted you and he wanted me to uh, be very intentional about our relationship with the Word of God. He wanted us to be intentional about um, what we believe about it, how we allow it to impact our lives, uh, being able to come to a place and a point where we are steadily digesting the Word of God. And let me just add this for your consideration. When he speaks about the Scriptures here, he's talking about the Old Testament, because at the point of this writing, the New Testament hadn't been canonized yet, right? So he's referring to what we all know of as the Old Testament. And the reason he's doing this is because these Christians that he's speaking to, they are living in very trying times. Anybody ever felt like you're living in trying times? Yeah. We all are there at some point in some, some ways. Now, in this particular culture, they were very antagonistic towards the things of Christ. These Christians faced ridicule These Christians faced danger for their beliefs, danger for their practices, and the temptation for them was to return to a place that was a little less against the flow, to just move along the line of least resistance. That was the temptation. Many of these were Jewish believers, they had been raised and had grown up in Judaism and had come to Christ and were in faith in Christ, and now they, they were coming against the attacks because of their faith in Christ. And so they were tempted to return to Judaism. You know, they would hear things like, hey, just don't be so radical in your faith. Or can't you just glow with the flow? Stop trying to rock the boat. Quit pushing upstream. The same kind of things maybe some of you have heard from your friends or family or others who are antagonistic towards your beliefs in the culture. See, we're not the first generation that's, that's had to stand up against this. And so he's writing this group of people because he knows this is what's happening in their life. Some of them are facing it as a group. Some of them are, are facing it as individuals. And so he says to them, because of the work of Christ in salvation, it's important that you and that I, he uses the word we, that we pay much closer attention to what we have heard about the Word of God and about Jesus Christ. I think it's interesting that he uh, includes himself. And here's why this is interesting. Because his next phrase talks about the drift. And we would think, well, if there's anybody who would be exempt from the drift or wouldn't be able to succumb to that, surely it'd be one of the writers of Scripture. I mean, that would make sense to us, wouldn't it? Right? The Apostle Paul would never do that. Luke would never do that. Peter would never do that. But the writer of Hebrews here, he includes himself, he says, we. And the reason is because he knows how easy it is to move in that direction, right? So he says, uh, you know, this isn't an isolated occurrence. It's we, it's all of us. In fact, in uh, 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's what the Apostle Paul writes. Check this out. In the presence of God, in Christ Jesus, I give you this charge. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. That means be prepared uh, when people want to hear and when they don't. Be prepared when it's popular and when it's not. Be prepared when people accept the truth and when they don't. Be ready, be prepared in season, out of season. And here's what you're going to do. Correct, rebuke, and encourage with great patience and careful instruction. Check out verse three. For the time will come When people will not put up with sound doctrine. Now remember, Paul is writing to Timothy. Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus at this point. So he is writing this letter to a pastor to share with his church. Timothy, the time's coming when people, they will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, he says, so it's not only here's what they won't do. He said, here's what they will do. He's going to talk about the drift. Instead, to suit their own desires, and I wish I had time to break that, that little phrase down and just really dive deep so we get an understanding. But let's just suffice to say, they are wanting to do what pleases them, right? To suit their own own desires, they will gather around themselves a great number of teachers. Here's why they're going to do that. To have them say what their itching ears want to hear. And then they will, watch this action, they will turn their ears away from truth. You remember those five things I shared with at the, at the outset? Moving from the drift all the way to where you become away from, don't even want to hear the word anymore? They will turn their ears away from truth and turn aside to myths. They will embrace things that are false. They will embrace things that are wrong. And the prophet Isaiah, you know what he said? Isaiah said, they will take that which is evil and call it good, and that which is good and call it evil. You know, we can say, oh, man, we know that happens in the world. He's not talking to the world. He's talking to the church. That's why he's bringing this encouragement, is so we understand where this is heading. Heading. And both in Corinth and Athens, the apostle Paul, he had to deal with this onslaught of what they called holistic culture. And now he was encouraging Timothy, hold the line, Timothy. Don't allow the word of God to become open to wrongful interpretation by a godless culture. That's the culture we live in. We live in a culture that wants to reinterpret the word of God to suit their own desires. You know, some of you may not know this, but going way back to when the King James Bible, which is a a great translation, uh, we often say the 1611 King James, and actually the one we use is a later version. I think it's uh, 1676 or 17, early 1700s, I forget exactly. But did you know that the King James Version was not authorized by King James? Here's why. He wanted them to remove, thou shalt not commit adultery, because he was a repeat offender. He did not like that in there. So he did not authorize, even though it says to authorize King James, he authorized them to translate, but when they got done, he would not authorize it. And they went back to him knowing that he could be like, off with their heads, right? I mean, he could have killed every one of the translators for not doing this. And they went back with the argument that said, listen, you wanted a translation. Do you really, really want history to look back at you? And say that you try to do everything for your own good so instead of off with their heads he just didn't authorize it but it became an english translation that to this day is still loved and became the predecessor of so many great translations that we have well what was that that was this idea of the culture trying to reinterpret the word of god right and so we see that and that happens today that happens probably daily maybe it's in your workplace it happens with the media, it happens on social media, it's all over the place. People want, the godless culture wants to reinterpret that. And he says, you, you cannot allow the word of God to become open to that. He, he anticipated a drift by those who in their day claimed to be enlightened believers. Ah, oh, isn't that an interesting term? All right. So that's the first couple phrases of this sentence. For this reason, because of the superiority of Christ, we got to pay attention to what we've heard because people aren't, there's going to come a time they don't endure sound doctrine, you know, and he included himself. So for us, let me just give you a quick application. All of us must continually be on guard against this, be on guard against this. One time I was talking with somebody and they said, you know, the other day I was reading a passage of Scripture and I read what it said and I thought, that can't be right. And immediately they were caught. You know, why? Because it didn't agree with how they felt and what their culture was teaching. Right? So they, you know, they gathered themselves together and said, oh, it's the Word of God. It must must be true. That's the correct way to look at that. So here's what he says. And this is our next slide. Why are we doing this? So that we do not drift. So that we do not drift away from it. What is it? The truth. The truth of the Word of God. The superiority of Christ and the Word of God. All right, so here's, here's where we want to spend a little bit of time as we are looking at what did the writer mean by this. So he knew that there was a danger of the drift. He knew that there was this, this danger of uh, people getting to a place where they get lost in familiar places, right? Get lost in the Scripture and, and go, go away that, as we started with, that there is no wrong way to go, broadly interpreting everything and seeing things in different ways, and every way is equal, right? I, you know, common logic says that doesn't make sense right? Everyone's interpretation can't be equally right. Because if you have two that are counter-opposed to each other, that just doesn't make sense, right? But that's, that's where we've gotten to in our culture. Um, and he was warning against this. He knew that the danger was real. And he knew it, and he was not alone. You remember me telling you that when they talked about the Scripture says they were referring to the Old Testament? Remember that? So, let me kind of build this for you, how they would have understood this analogy. First of all, the prophets of old were very well acquainted with the drift and its results. Check this out on the screen. This is from Isaiah, chapter 30. Okay, Prepare yourselves to gasp. Right. Here's Isaiah. For they are, in the book of Isaiah, God is talking to him. For they are rebellious people. He's talking about his people. Lying children, children unwilling to hear the instruction of the Lord, who they say to the seers, or the prophets, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy to us what is, what, what is right. Speak to us smooth things, prophesy illusions. Let that sink in for a second. So Isaiah, one of the prophets who prophesied the coming of Christ, he is hearing this from the people, right? They're lying. This is the people of God. They're unwilling to hear what the Lord says. And not only are they unwilling to listen, they come back with their own message. And they tell the prophets, "Mm, we don't want to hear that. We don't want to hear what thus saith the Lord And by the way, those of you who are seeing into God's realm, keep it to yourself, right? We don't don't really want to know that. Here's what we want you to do. We want you to prophesy not what is right, but what is pleasing. Prophesy smooth things to us. Tell us that life is going to be good. Tell us we can all be millionaires, tell us that nothing bad happens when you're really in the throes of christianity right tell us that we will never have to ever be sick tell us that no nothing bad comes our way in fact tell us that it's all blessing that's the smooth things they wanted to hear in fact let's take it a little bit further prophesy illusions Have you ever met somebody and you thought, they're not dealing with reality? Quit pointing fingers. Uh, this is what they were saying. We want to live in our alternate reality. Just tell us things that put us there. That's what they're asking of the prophets of God. Now, that's not an isolated incident. Look at Jeremiah. We know that Jeremiah had a, had a rough uh, road to hoe, and Jeremiah, uh, chapter 50, verses 30 and 31. Here's what, how he starts this. An appalling and horrible thing has happened in the land. The prophets prophesy falsely, and the priests rule at their discretion. Okay, think about this. Prophets, this has always been a mouthpiece of God. And the priests, those were the people who, who taught the people of God. Okay, you have people speaking for God. And he says, here's this horrible thing that's happened. The prophets are now giving us false prophecy. The priests rule at their own discretion, that is, instead of God's. My people, here's God's commentary on it, and my people love it that way. They love to have it so. And then God asks this question, but what will you do when the end comes? Now, there's a sobering question, right? There's a very, very sobering question. You want to hear what you want to hear. You want my, my speakers and my prophets to say things that make you feel good. You want to do this. You want them to prophesy false. You want the priest to rule not the way that God rules, not to pass forth the judgment that God says, but you want them to kind of, you know, let's, let's do some slack here. And God says that his people, his children loved it that way. You see, this is a result of drift this is what happens when you just start getting offline a little bit in fact I am told and I'm sure Ryan could probably give a lot more information on this but if an airplane left uh, Los Angeles California coming to Dayton International Airport and was off by just one degree they would have to land in Cincinnati just one degree just barely off If their instruments are one degree off, it takes you that far away from your destination. So here are people, people of God who knew God, who had his word, and you can see what just a degree of error, let alone when they keep moving degrees of error. The thing about drift is it is so subtle, right? You start at a good point, and instead of going due north, you start going off slightly. And here's what we do. Once we're off slightly, we create a new north. And then we move from that and create a new north. And, we, and, and eventually, as they say, we're, we're off in right field somewhere. That, that's how drift happens. And he's warning the people of God about drift. You might think it's small, but it ends up in a very big way because he says, hey, what's going to happen to you when the end comes? Let me give you one more. Zachariah, Zechariah chapter 7 verse 11, but they refuse to pay attention, and they turn a stubborn shoulder and stop their ears so they might not hear. You know, you'd think he's talking about, no offense to any here, it's like he's talking about some teenagers, right? They just refuse to pay attention, and they're stubborn, right? And he says, and they stop their ears. I mean, it's almost like this, yeah, I'm not listening to you, right? And that's the way that they're treating God's word, and that's the way that they're treating God. Here's the reason because the drift is real, folks. The drift is real. It's here, it's been here, it's always been here. Go all the way back to the garden. What happened? They just drifted a little. It was only one tree, it was only one fruit, right? And that single drift has resulted in all the problems that the world has known. Think about that. It's amazing. There's an article uh, in Our Troubled Times, uh, Understanding Our Troubled Times, by Dr. Chuck Swindoll. And he related three drifts that he had seen in his lifetime. Let me quickly give, quickly give you those. The first drift that he said he has noticed is a blurring of the line between right and wrong. A blurring of the line between right and wrong. I'll give you a second. I know you're writing some in there. He said, in my lifetime, I have seen a move from a wholesome standard of morality to a wholesale and undiscerning emphasis on tolerance. Tolerance. What is that? A blurring of the line between right and wrong. right? Let's take the line in the sand that God has drawn and let's take our broom and try to, try to blur that a little. Secondly, a growing ignorance of biblical knowledge. A growing ignorance of biblical knowledge. You know, there was a time, and I can I can remember, and I'm not that old. Um, I can, but I can remember when even the general, at least here in the Midwest, the general culture around us, even if people didn't go to church, there was still a respect, right? I I remember often, you know, being with my dad somewhere, and somebody come off with a cuss word, and oh, I you know, and immediately begin to apologize, right? Um, because they felt that there, there was something wrong about that. Just, they just didn't, didn't want to do that in the presence of, of someone that they, they knew was a Christian. And there was even a time, and I've heard some of you talk about that when you were in grade school, not only did you say the Pledge of Allegiance, but you prayed. And some of your stories and some subjects were taught out of the Bible. You know? So look at what's happened in one generation. And so that's what he's talking about. There's this growing ignorance of biblical knowledge. Um, You know, there was a time when biblical thinking and theological thinking and understanding and doctrinal truth, they were the guidelines for our society. But that's not the way it is now. We have a famine in the land, as was said in Amos chapter 8, not a famine of bread or water, but of hearing the word of the Lord. Thirdly, he said there is an intensifying embrace of postmodernism. We have clearly shifted from a Christian era to a post-Christian era. And now the, uh, now the mantra is, everyone's truth is subjective. Whatever you believe is true for you. The drift is real. The drift is incredibly real. A number of years ago, I, I had a dream um, and it was one of just a handful of spiritual dreams that I have had. Um, and before anyone points out the passage in Scripture that says old men will dream dreams, let me just tell you, I was quite, quite a bit younger than I am now, so I was not an old man. Um, and in this dream, and I'm just going to summarize it for you because the dream is kind of expansive, but basically I, I was brought to a place with a Spirit of God that was, that was in all essentials a, a hospital. And all everybody in there was sick beyond reason. I mean it was nobody could nobody could get well, and the food was horrible and uh, there was no real kind of medicine and Some of you say i 've been in that hospital uh, so um, but my attention was taken to like a courtyard, and in this courtyard, there was this huge table with some of the best food that you'd ever seen. And it, be, it became apparent to me that the idea was if anybody in these hospital rooms could get to the courtyard and get some of that food, that they would be, well, they'd be made whole, but no one would help them. Then my attention was drawn to one room on, on the third or fourth floor where an individual rolled themselves out of the bed, popped on the floor, and crawling, made it across the threshold of their door and to the elevator, went down, and and rested on the door to the outside and summons the rest of the strength that they had and begin to crawl to that table and, and I remember in my dream feeling this real positive anticipation and uh, you know God would not allow me to intervene he, I, I was there as a spectator, I was there as a observer and I pr- watched this person as they crawled, put every ounce of strength they could grabbing the edge of the table, pulling themselves up to the table, grabbing some food and beginning to eat it and I, I had this this great anticipation that they were going to stand with strength and, and, and vigor and and be renewed and then i watched as as they turned around and their face grew pale and they and they fell to the ground you know and died and i like god I don't, I don't understand i don't i don't get this what what what's going on and he said Willie, this this is my church this is where my church is there are so many people in the world that are sick and And they need something. And and so many of the churches that were my children, that used to be called by my name, these people, in their last-ditch effort, they come to the church thinking maybe the church has something, and the church feeds them poisoned food. The church has poisoned its doctrine. And they die. Yeah, very scary. I mean, that changed the course of of my entire ministry from that point forward, to be very word-centered, um, and I think that's important because the drift is real. You see, whether it's an organization or an individual, we're susceptible to this thing called the drift. So uh, we come to this point, we've highlighted the why and, and the what and what's happening now. How do we defeat this? That's, that's the important thing, right? Uh, we, we recognize it happens and we want to defeat it here because we don't want to go down the line of those other four things that happen. So how do we defeat the drift and experience victory and i just have i think 3 uh, there there are more but there i'm just going to give you 3 uh, three ways to do this first of all is that we embrace the bible's perfect value perfect value we find this in 2nd Timothy chapter 3 it says all scripture is god breathed or breathed out by god It is profitable for teaching, it is profitable for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the people of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, this is the Bible's perfect value. If you're looking on the screen uh, with me, you'll see that there's three words, or three phrases that I have underlined. All scripture is breathed out by God, first of all. All scripture is profitable, and it tells us what it's profitable for, and it says that uh, all scripture brings about the people of God becoming complete. Um, Click the screen again, and here's what I want to tell you. In its perfect value, here's what these three things are. First of all, being breathed out by God means it has a perfect origin. It began in perfection therefore it can be carried out into perfection right second thing is that in its that it is profitable the scripture is perfect in its use right by the way did you know the church is perfect oh that grabbed your attention the church was god's idea it's perfect it's the people that are messed up right right god's idea of church he created it, and it was perfect. Just like God's idea of marriage, perfect idea. God's, of, God's idea of government is a perfect government. It's perfect. It's all perfect. They, they are perfect for use. And third, that the people of God may be complete. Did you know that in many passages, that same Greek word that here is complete is translated perfect, right? That doesn't mean that we become perfect, sinless. It does mean that we, become, we have outcomes that are perfected by God, that's what he wants from his church. So this is embracing the Bible's perfect value for us, for our individual lives and for our church and for the big C church in the world, right? Secondly, we need to embrace the Bible's practical instruction. We need to embrace the Bible's practical instruction. You know, the Bible is, is a practical book. Some people don't see it that way. One, one time uh, Mark Twain was asked, uh, he had quoted a Bible, Bible verse in his Speech and he was asked by someone. He said, "You know, don't, don't, doesn't it bother you all those things in the Bible that you just you can't understand?" He said, "Nope. Quite frankly, the things that bother me are the ones I do understand." Right? So don't think you have to understand at all. Live in the light that you've been given and embrace the practical instruction of that. Here's what Joshua uh, one eight and nine. Joshua, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth. But you will meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. How does that sound? That sounds pretty good, right? So, first of all, I want you to look at the the words that are uh, underlined again. And we have that the book of the law, the instruction of the word of God, right, should not depart from your mouth. That is, it should uh, be instructive for the way you talk. Secondly, it should be instructive for the, w- for the way you think, so your thought, but you will meditate That's a way of getting it into your mind on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according. So in this passage, again, three things. A whole nother sermon in itself. It's instructive for your talk, your thought, and your walk. And wouldn't it be great if we could get those three things right? Right? I mean, I, I, I'd be pretty happy with that. Um, it's practical. It affects the way we think. It affects the way we behave. It should be affecting the way we behave. It should affect the way we talk. Right? I mean, if you're still talking the same way that you were when you were a non-believer. You're, you're missing something, right? Something's missing in translation, so to speak, right? There's something going on. The Bible continually improves us, right? It provides um, an amount of discernment. It keeps us from being deceived. It keeps us from being duped. It keeps us from being disillusioned, right? This, this is all stuff that comes from the practicality of the Word of God and its instruction, it provides direction. It'll give you a goal to pursue, showing you what you ought to do. It forces you to make the hard and the right decision. This, this is just what the Scripture does in our heart and in our life. And I love that the passage says that when it doesn't depart from your mouth, and you are meditating on it day and night, and you are doing according to what is written in it, then the Scripture says, then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. Here's the problem. Tune in on this, please. So often, we want the promise of God to make our way prosperous and have good success without fulfilling the requirement. Right? I mean, the requirement is to not let the book of the law out of our mouth. That is, it's instructive, corrective of our speech. It's corrective of our thought life. And it's corrective of our action. So we don't get to claim the prosperity and success of God aside from doing what he has required us to do, right? It's out, it gets out of balance. It just doesn't happen that way. So he requires these things, and this is instructive. So we have, uh, have these to embrace the perfect value and embrace the practical instruction of the word of God. I think that's all I have on your list that you have, right? Those, those two? Yeah, well, the challenge is getting ready to come. Are you ready to be challenged, Elaine? Is that what you're saying? Okay. So let me give you a, a closing illustration uh, from my own life that has, seems to have nothing to do with spirituality. And then you'll see where it applies. It has a lot to do with fishing. All right? I know some people don't like fishing because they say, I don't catch anything. Well, then it would be called catching, not fishing. Right? Fishing has no promises of a catch if you caught every, something every time, it'd just be called catching. That's something you do in the backyard with a baseball and glove. And some people don't do that very well either. Anyway, um, my brother and I, we decided to go fishing. So we went out on a lake. We got this boat. and It was the first time we were ever on this particular body of water. So we get out there and we're fishing and, and uh, we're just having a good time. It's a very, very pleasant day. Uh, you know, the temperature's good. The sun's up. It's just very nice. And so... What we did was we, you know, we lifted the motor out of the water, and we just are going along with the drift. That's what we're doing. You know, letting it drift along. And we're fishing most of the time, you know, off the bank and into the water. And, um, you know, we're, we're doing uh, fairly well. And we're having a really great time. And then at some point, I began to notice that we were picking up speed, an unusual amount of speed, and at the same time, I began to hear something that I hadn't heard before. And it was the sound of rushing water. So I was a little concerned, and uh, we were in a reservoir that we had, as I said, had never fished before. And in this reservoir, we were quickly approaching an outlet that had a very significant drop-off. And I panicked, because I swim like a rock I go straight to the bottom, although fat floats. So I do flat. I, I do. I, I do float a little bit, but I don't swim. Okay, I don't swim uh, very well. We were unable to row out of the drift. We begin to row um, the little motor we had. You know, the little trolling not enough. I mean, it just what? So we've got oars in the water, and we are rowing, and we just cannot row against the current at this point. So we managed to begin to row in a sideways direction toward uh, the edges where there was a little weaker current, and then we, in the nick of time, managed to escape the danger of the the waterfall. And I'm here to tell the story, (laughs) gratefully. Very grateful about that. Here's what I want you to understand. We didn't do anything intentionally wrong. We were just enjoying a day on the lake. But what we did do was neglected to intentionally do what we should have. See the difference? We didn't intentionally do anything wrong, but we neglected to intentionally do what we should have done that was right. It's a subtle difference that could have ended very badly. We neglected to notice warning signs. And this simple drift that we got caught in could have been very destructive. So here's the challenge. The challenge is simply to invite all of us as individuals and as a church to commit to defeating the drift in whatever area of ministry and whatever area of life you are in. That's it. This is what the writer of Hebrews in this one sentence was trying to get across to us. The drift is subtle. Some of you may remember when you first came to Christ how excited you were. I mean, people couldn't even keep, they couldn't keep you from talking about how awesome Christ was and is. And then somehow you got normalized, right? Right? I mean, I've heard seasoned Christians before talk about a new convert who is just gun ho and they say something like this. Oh, just give them some time. They'll settle down. What a shame. Really. And I think for each of us, we have to analyze and look at our own life and say, where, where might I be most susceptible to drift? Where, where, do I, where can I look and ask the Holy Spirit to help you? Where do I see that I've, I've gotten off of due north? even if it's by 1 degree where can god bring me back and that's what the that's what the passage is asking for that church that he was writing to there and to the church that god allowed this scripture to come to today which is us where where are we drifting or where are we susceptible to drift and how can we get back to embracing the full value of the Word of God and the full instruction of the Word of God so that we don't continue to drift. Amen? Would you bow your heads? God, first of all, I want to thank you that you remind us in your Word about these things, that you bring us to a place to know you and who you are, and then you show us where the pitfalls are. You show us how easy it is to begin to move away from a right relationship with you and the things that you want so desperately for us. And then you urge us, encourage us to make those corrections. Lord, I ask that whether in our lives the corrections need to be small or for some of us maybe they need to be a little bit larger corrections, that you will reveal to us that you will touch those spots in our lives, God, that you will um, open our heart to hear you, that you will begin to knock on our door. Lord, I I repent for times that I've allowed drift to take place in my life. And I ask that your forgiveness would be there and that you would help me correct that. God, I want to do what you say. I want my way to be prosperous. I want it to be successful. But only if it's prosperous and successful in your light and in your way. God, as a church, keep us from drifting. Keep us from moving from those, through those five elements that the book of Hebrews describes. And we'll give you thanks and honor for it in Christ's name. Let the church say amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank you all so much. I, I hope this has ministered to you. I hope it will continue to minister to you throughout ministry that you're involved in, uh, throughout your daily walk in your life. Man, so we are, uh, we are going to uh, receive your gifts to the Lord, your tithe and your offering. Amen. So he's like, oh, daddy's done. They get to go up there now. All right, Jerry, will you bless our offering? amen. Uh, If you'll wait upon the congregation. uh, Is there something else? Okay. I want to remind you that um, this Wednesday there will be no classes here at the church. As we realize, uh, many folks will be preparing for their Thanksgiving dinner, which for many looks a little different this year, but uh, we hope that you will have a fantastic time. Uh, Do take some time during that day to give Give the Lord thanks. You just steal away for a couple moments and, you know, just give him some thanks as well. Uh, maybe there's somebody that has been instrumental in your life that uh, you could give a phone call to and just say, hey, I want to tell you that you've meant a lot to me and um, I just want to tell you I'm thankful for you today. So make it a, a true day of, of Thanksgiving. We pray that everyone has a very uh, safe uh, holiday and then we will be, we will be back Sunday. Um, Tabby, did you need to make any announcements about the, the dinner here? Okay, so uh, there'll be, what time is that starting? Around noon? Okay, around noon. So there is going to be a dinner here for those in, in the church. If you don't have somewhere to go or uh, for those of you who are invited to family that you don't like and you'd rather come here, you're welcome to come. No, I'm, I'm, I'm kidding. Um, I mean, you really are welcome, but, uh, you know, so uh, is the sign-up still out there? Okay, so today is the last day to sign up for that. Right through the middle on the right, correct? Is that what you said? All right, so if you'd like to sign up for that, and then I think then you guys will be handling Divi out from there. Okay, very good. All right, folks, that's, that's, uh, that's it for today. Thank you for being here. Uh, let's just give the Lord a hand clap of praise as we're dismissed. Praise the Lord.